0: Welcome to Fishing Forward, a podcast inspired by fishermen for fishermen that focuses on health, safety, and staying ship shape in the commercial fishing
1: industry. Fishing Forward is brought to you by the Northeast Center for Occupational Health and Safety and by the Coastal Roots Radio Team at the University of Guelph in Ontario, Canada.
0: I'm your co-host, Hannah Harrison.
1: And I'm Phil Loring. In this podcast, we're exploring how fishermen can be thought of as professional fishing athletes. That is, that the nature of their work demands the same high level of mental focus, training, and physical acuity that one might expect from a professional sports athlete. Throughout this series, we're using that lens to understand the many facets of fishermen's minds, bodies, and well-being, and we're digging deep into tough questions around issues that are critical to the fishing industry.
0: In this episode, we're continuing our discussion about one of the most difficult aspects of commercial fishing staying both alert and able to work in the often grueling hours required by this occupation.
1: For many in the commercial fishing industry, sleep deprivation is an unavoidable feature of the job. And to compensate, many fishermen turn to stimulants to try to combat fatigue. Today, we're going to talk about some of the tools that fishermen use, particularly caffeine, and how they impact fishing brains and the body.
2: I'm Dr. Allison Brager. I am a neuroscientist by trade. I specifically look at the underlying physiology and neuroanatomy of how humans are able to thrive in extreme environments under extreme stress. Um, And this is really looked at from the level of genes, brain, and behavior. So sort of genetic determinants that Make some people more resilient to things like sleep deprivation than others, as well as the underlying neurochemistry and sort of endocrine factors uh, that feed into this.
1: If that was a little confusing, the simple version of Dr. Brager's work is that she studies the way our genetics impact our brain's ability to cope in high-stress environments, particularly when we have a lack of sleep. Along with that, she also studies existing medications to see if new applications for them can be found that would allow people to maintain their cognitive function when they're really tired.
0: Dr. Breger also happens to be a major in the United States Army, so she has firsthand experience with high-stress, low-sleep environments. In our conversation, Dr. Breger described how sleep deprivation can be tied to how we value sleep at the societal level
2: sleep deprivation, it's, you know, it's become sort of a way of of life. And um, unfortunately, so, you know, we used to, I think back in the day, and there are certain cultures uh, that really prioritize sleep and, and plan their day around afternoon siestas and going to bed early and uh, waking up when the sun rises and, uh, you know, staying away from shift work and, and, and night work. But a lot of society today is not like that. You know, we function in a 24-7 society with shift work and, and night work being very pervasive and very prominent. And um, I will tell you that it actually takes about 10 years off your life. Um, so they actually consider shift work to be a level two carcinogen now by the World Health Organization. And so, you know, on the science side, it's really important to understand uh, what are the negative consequences of sleep deprivation at a very deep level. And, And one of the reasons we do that is to then try to develop techniques to sort of preserve this physiological and this cognitive decline under conditions when sleep deprivation is inevitable. And because obviously in some industries, sleep deprivation is inevitable. In the military, absolutely. Um, You need somebody who's rapidly able to fight at a moment's notice, even from a deep sleep. And to use the fishery industry as an example, it's the same thing. Like you, your day is planned around the tides and planned around the weather. And so you have to be able to adapt your physiology to that. So the more we understand the science, the more then we can develop whether like Designer drugs and/or leverage certain technologies to help keep these people not just awake but preserve their their health and in the long term.
1: I'm amazed to hear that shift work or work that falls outside the normal daytime working hours can take so many years off of your life, and that it's a level two carcinogen.
0: Yeah, I was also really shocked to hear that carcinogen classifications and the reasons that they are potentially cancer causing in humans. Is a really complicated subject. So here's Dr. Brager explaining that a little bit further.
2: Sure. So, I mean, it really comes down to your um, basic biological clocks. So, you know, we have these internally ticking clocks in our body that pretty much exist in virtually every tissue. So these clocks tell us when to sleep, when to wake up, when to eat, when we're thirsty, uh, when a, a lot of like digestive processes happen. And if they're constantly getting mixed signals, well, then all these different timed biological processes are happening at abnormal times. So it sort of creates this whole cascade of missignaling within the body. And so, as you know, cancer, for example, is very much tied to signals within the cell in terms of like cell growth and cell repair and cell replication. And so if these signals get messed up, well, then you're going to put yourself at increased risk for cancer.
1: Now, I'm realizing that though we've heard from other experts about what a lack of sleep does to you, most of those discussions have focused on acute or short-term sleep loss. I'm curious what Dr. Brager finds in her work that is focused on the more extreme ends of sleep deprivation.
0: Well, the long and the short of it is, sleep is an essential function for human bodies, and when we don't get to rest, the results are a full body experience.
2: Chronic sleep deprivation. First off, your brain turns to mush. So uh, we know that now, where you're, you basically the clearance of waste products and toxins that you build up throughout the waking day in your brain, it basically stops working or it slows down, um, and then you basically start the new day. With a bunch of like extra crap and like waste in your brain. Um, we know that the signaling itself slows down. So, how different nerve cells communicate with each other, uh, not just at a local level, but at a global level, um, is disrupted. And then again, it goes back to all these other physiological processes from digestion. You tend to eat more calories than you normally would because you're constantly awake. And so those hunger signals stay on instead of being turned off like they normally are when you sleep. Same with like kidney and renal function. There's a reason why during sleep, we release this hormone called antidiuretic hormone, which prevents us from peeing at night. But the reason why that hormone's released is because it's trying to give the the renal system a break. Um, It's just every single process of the body is negatively impacted. With men, for in particular, they they no longer secrete testosterone, and they develop like low levels of testosterone because testosterone is only released during the deepest stages of sleep. Same with growth hormone; it's it's significantly reduced, which is going to impact bodily repair and tissue regeneration because that's only also released with sleep. So it's it's like a it's a whole body process.
0: So sleep really is the key to clearing out our body's natural waste products. But in lieu of sleep, there are other things fishermen can do to tilt the balance more in their favor, most of which we have talked about on this show before.
1: Yeah, having a healthy diet that is rich in antioxidants and getting regular exercise can go a long way towards compensating for the negative impacts of sleep deprivation. But as we learned last episode, some long-term impacts, such as developing Alzheimer's disease, still remain a risk.
0: That's true. Though when I spoke about this with Dr. Brager, she talked about how the threat of Alzheimer's that we sometimes see in popular media is probably a little overstated, and that it really comes down to a gradient of individual risk factors and genetics.
2: Again, it's a gradient, right? Because there's also genetic factors you have to consider too. Somebody like myself, who has a predetermined genetic risk for Alzheimer's because of being Eastern European, I'm already at a disadvantage. But if I am also not getting adequate sleep, then for sure, I probably would end up with Alzheimer's. But if you don't have that genetic predisposition and like, say you have a month or two months of acute sleep deprivation here and there, that doesn't mean you're going to end up with Alzheimer's and dementia.
0: So let's switch gears here and talk more about caffeine and how it works in our brains. So
2: adenosine is a neurochemical that builds up throughout the day. And the more that adenosine builds up, the sleepier we become. And then at the height of being sleepy at night, like usually adenosine is at its peak. And when we fall asleep, adenosine levels drop. So they rise with wake and they drop with sleep. But what caffeine does is it actively blocks the release of adenosine. So what that means is throughout the waking day, as adenosine is accumulating, if you happen to have caffeine, it slows down the rate of accumulation.
1: Now, Hannah, hearing this makes me wonder if it works the same for all people. I personally am a coffee drinker, I drink multiple cups every morning, but I know other people who seem super sensitive to even a single cup.
0: Yeah, you know, what you're observing there is actually spot on. It turns out that our bodies essentially make a trade off between our resilience to lack of sleep and our sensitivities to caffeine. Some people are very resilient to a lack of sleep, but then they tend to also not be super sensitive to caffeine. That is, they'll need more cups of coffee to feel the impact of the caffeine. Other people who are less resilient to a lack of sleep are the opposite. A few sips of a caffeinated beverage, and they are probably ready to run a marathon or might be genuinely unable to get any sleep later. But our responses to caffeine on the whole are dependent on the source of that caffeine. Which brings us to the subject of energy drinks. And perhaps the first thing we should talk about here is exactly how much caffeine is in some of these beverages.
2: It only takes 200 milligrams for caffeine to be fully effective. Most energy drinks have 300 milligrams. So you're already beyond the ceiling effect. Your body is physically incapable of absorbing and um, utilizing more than 200 milligrams at a time. And we know this from like years and years of doing precise caffeine dosing studies. Um, So this isn't just like one study. This is like doing a meta-analysis of a lot of studies. The second thing, and this is really where the issue is, is most energy drinks have additional additives and vitamins and other chemically grade stuff in them. There's a crap ton of stuff. That's also what's creating an issue is because it sends mixed signals to the brain because some of these things may be inhibitory, like send inhibitory signals to the brains and other things like caffeine and taurine are sending hyper excitatory signals. And so the brain is very self-protective. It basically freaks out and starts killing off brain cells. It's a condition known as neurotoxicity in order to protect itself from this overload. Now, we haven't shown this in humans. We have shown this in animal models, but obviously like the mammalian brain is pretty much conserved and preserved across evolution. So what we found in rodent models can be extrapolated in a sense to humans.
1: So in other words, while scientists may not have definitively proven neurotoxicity from energy drink consumption in humans the observations they're making when studying other mammals is likely to translate to people as well.
0: Indeed, and that isn't to say that no studies on people and energy drink consumption have been done. Dr. Breger described one study conducted with soldiers at Walter Reed Army Medical Center, which is the same place where the president of the United States receives their care.
2: So we did the study where we found that in soldiers who were consuming two or more energy drinks a day, the risk for symptoms related to PTSD, anxiety, depression, aggression, fatigue, and burnout were like three times as likely that if they only had one or no energy drinks. And this wasn't a, a lightly powered study. This is actually a very large powered study and that there was 2,000 soldiers who were enrolled in the study. Um, and sure, it was all subjective self-report but it was self-report using very clinically valid measures.
1: Okay. So energy drinks sound like they're not a very good choice for our brain health, but if we do want to drink caffeine, are some options better than others?
0: Uh, fortunately for you and I and other heavy coffee drinkers, yes, they are. Dr. Breger suggests choosing naturally occurring sources of caffeine.
2: But green tea is great, right? Green tea is chock full of antioxidants and neuroprotectants. Same with coffee. Coffee has antioxidants and uh, neuroprotectants.
0: So as we were wrapping up our interview, Dr. Brager brought up one more factor that can often disrupt our sleep, light exposure. I want to play you a little bit of our conversation about how lights, including the ones in your wheelhouse or on your phone, can affect your brain's natural sleep signals.
2: Light exposure is... um, you know, I know that's an issue for commercial fishermen because uh, you know the stadium spotlights, especially if they're out in the early morning, it's it's just blasting their their sleep system, and it, it potentially it, it's shifting their uh, the timing of their sleep. So I think one of the things that commercial fishermen have to be really evident of, um, and it's it's easily self-correcting now is to invest in things such as like blue light blocking glasses, or there's those like, they call them like junk light blocking glasses um, to help make sure that even in, especially in times where it's complete darkness outside and they're being blasted with stadium lights, just like it it happens all the time when I'm deployed and they leave these stadium lights on all the time out in the desert where the bathrooms are, because none of the places you sleep actually have a bathroom inside where you sleep. You have to walk like at least 250 meters to this this uh trailer that's being lit by stadium lights and it screws with your sleep. And we know like I'm not gonna get deep into the biology of how it does it, but ill-timed light exposure during darkness is really bad for your sleep. Um, it's also really bad for your like waking performance too, because it can shift all these pre-timed rhythms of like peak optimal performance. So that's something I I think that, you know, commercial fishermen should definitely invest in.
1: Now, despite all we just heard from Dr. Brager, you and I both know, Hannah, that caffeinated products like coffee, tea, and energy drinks are very popular on most boats.
0: They definitely are, and honestly, with good reason. As we discussed in our last few episodes, sleep is such a precious commodity in these jobs. They require this constant alertness. And sometimes caffeine is the only thing that we really have to fill that gap when you don't get enough sleep. But we learned today that not all caffeine sources are created equal, and fishermen, surprisingly, are actually beginning to say the same thing. Let's go now to New Bedford, Massachusetts, to hear from scallop fisherman Tom Lees.
3: All right, well, my name is uh, Tom Lees. I fish out of uh, New Bedford, Mass. I live in a small town adjoining New Bedford called Fairhaven. And I've been fishing for almost 40 years, since 1982.
0: Tom sails aboard a 93-foot steel vessel called the Tropico. And while in his early career he dragged for ground fish, today he is 100% a scallop fisherman.
3: So scallopin is, uh, we have a crew of uh, seven, seven full-time men, uh, including myself. And uh, the hours uh, can be rigorous. Uh, we do eight hours on eight hours off but that never works out to be that way because we always do overtime so so we work you know we could work 10 11 hours 12 hours and only sleep maybe four hours tops uh depending on uh you know how much scallops we have and we try to stay busy when uh nobody's cutting scallops we're, we're not making any money and that's that's the goal we go offshore from anywhere to Georgia's banks all the way down to mid-Atlantic states, which is past Delaware uh, and Georgia's banks all the way out to the Hague line, which is the Canadian border. So at times, different times, our steams could be uh, up to 32 hours. Uh, and depending on weather, it could be longer than that. So so we move around and and where we fish, the New Bedford ski- Fishing fleet, scallop fleet, is controlled by regulations like every other fishery is. So so we have to work with what we are given, and that changes year to year. Uh, Last year, I had seven trips of scallop, and this year, I'm only going to get five trips because they have cutbacks.
1: Wow, those are long trips with very little sleep. Tom has been fishing for a long time, so I'm curious how he's seen the use of caffeine and other stimulants change over the course of his career.
0: I was also curious about that, because whilst coffee might be this long-time staple, other things like energy drinks are kind of comparatively new in the
3: fleet. I don't think there's a boat in the fleet that doesn't bring out a ton of coffee and energy drinks like uh, Red Bull. You know, I I know some captains I've seen they'll go on board 10 cases uh, of Red Bull for uh, for an open area trip. And and, they'll, you know, and they'll drink two or three in, in, in one of their watches um, and lots of coffee and other different kinds of soda like Coke and stuff. That's pretty much what I've seen. Uh, and you have some people might do their energy drinks that, you uh, are good for the for workouts. You know, I, I haven't seen anybody bring those kind of on on the boat that I run. Uh, but I've heard that some of the people that do go to the gym and work out, they're like, uh, uh, you know, it helps them a stimulant and you know, it's good for their muscles and blood flow and all that. Typically, my on my boat, I only get most one to two cases of uh, Red Bull and, and not everybody drinks them. There might be maybe two guys out of, my, out of the seven might have a Red Bull. Uh, honestly, I can't remember the last time I had a Red Bull.
1: Tom is talking here about energy drinks that are used for working out, which some gym goers use to get an extra boost of caffeine and energy.
0: But energy drinks aren't the only thing Tom sees helping fishermen stay alert. Soft drinks and caffeinated teas have also become really popular.
3: Occasionally, I also well, I like Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew is high in caffeine, and so so we'll get you know a thirty pack of that. I might have one or two during the trip just to to break it up through my other routine, which is uh, tea. I, I I like drinking tea. I'll do a, a just a regular bigelow tea. Uh, pomegranate tea is my favorite. I'll do two bags at a time, and uh, you know that helps me. That that's what I do. And then occasionally I will I have these what they call uh, energy sticks, uh, a fizz stick. It's a it's a dietary type of uh, energy. Uh, You just put it in a bottle of water. I don't drink a lot of soda, so it's either tea, water or and in the middle of my watch, I'll have a fizz. I just call it a fizz stick with a a flavor. And it's just a lot of B vitamins and, and a few other stuff.
0: The fizz sticks Tom talks about here are a particular brand of electrolyte water additive that also has ginseng in it, an herb that can have a similar stimulating effect as caffeine. Tom chooses these sources of caffeine on purpose as he has some concerns about the effects of energy
3: drinks. I just don't think uh, drinking the, the Red Bulls, there's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of, a lot of chemicals. Uh, I just don't think it's healthy for you. You know, Some guys, don't, they don't care some captains will push it because they, they want their crew member to perform, uh, you know, well, all the time. And then, you know, in the middle of the watch or towards the end of the watch, you do, you're getting tired and and you guys will pop a, a, a red bull and get another burst of energy. That's why, you know, it's big on, on the boat. I do know, uh, for because we have three watches a day what we call the the midnight watch uh begins at midnight and it and it goes to 8 a.m in the morning i know personally that around four o'clock three four to five your body naturally wants to like slow down because it's you know you know it's used to being home and that's when you usually sleep so for me, that's when I like to elevate something uh, to get me through where I start to see the sunshine, and then 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 it's re- I'm revived when I start to see the the sunrise. So the morning's there, you know, watches coming to an end, and and then uh, breakfast, and then then it's sleep after that.
0: Now, just before the end of my interview with Tom, his son Hunter happened to walk in and was kind enough to join our conversation. Hunter is 24 years old and captains both a scallop and a lobster boat. Being part of the younger generation of fishermen, his experience with energy drinks has been a little different than his father's.
4: Do you I've 20? definitely had my fair share of Red Bulls in an eight hour span. That's no <laughs> doubt about that. Now, how many cases of Red Bull would you get for your crew? He's uh, got a young crew. I got a young I mean, probably like only like three or four, but I mean, I've been on some boats where they spend 1,500, two grand for a two week trip on Red Bull. Wow.
0: I, I, I'm curious if you've ever seen anyone have some like immediate negative impacts from
4: having too much. Maybe a little, yeah. It energizes you maybe a little too much at times. They don't really think straight. I don't know. It was just a little boost of energy for me. It's more mental than anything.
0: What do you mean by that?
4: Well, I have it in my head. If I, if I drink a Red Bull, I'm going to, I'm going to work faster, cut faster or, or, you know, do my job faster. So Maybe not necessarily physically it helps. I, I don't really know, but men, mentally it definitely helps me. Do you find somebody that's drinking a lot of Red Bulls, they can't sleep? Or... Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I've had that problem. Sometimes I drink one and too late uh, too, too late in the watch, I'll, I'll have trouble sleeping.
1: Before we go, let's hear from one other fisherman out of Rhode Island who, like Tom and Hunter, deals with long hours during multi-day trips.
5: Well, my name is Denny St. Amon. Um, I'm 45 years old, and I'm uh, currently out of Point Judith, Rhode Island. And uh, the fishing that we're doing right now is scalloping. We just started the season. It's going to be starting, actually, in, I don't know, four or five days. So that's the season we're in now. And in the winter, we normally, from September to March, we normally do uh, squid fishing.
0: Denny is a mate aboard an 80-foot boat, usually working with a crew of seven to eight people. As we heard earlier, scallop fishing has grueling hours, so Denny and his crew get between two to three hours to eat and sleep in between shifts of work. Here's what that sounds like on Denny's boat.
5: Our gang runs in. I got the food already waiting for us. We eat steak for dinner every day and eggs every morning. So we do eggs, beans, and a meat. And for dinner, we do steak, rice, and vegetables. Because it's the fastest way to cook, p- to prepare a meal. I can do it in 10 minutes. So we all run in, takes, you know, 10 minutes to eat. Then you just go right to bed. In the beginning, you know, everyone's charged up, you know, the adrenaline's going. But by day like three or four, you know, everyone's not that you can see the production go down a little bit. Everyone's getting a little tired it's just natural. It just happens,
1: you know? And so as people begin to tire, that's where the topic of energy drinks and other caffeine comes in.
0: Yeah. Denny says that while the guys on his boat will have the occasional energy drink to get through those wee hours of a watch for Denny himself, he didn't really like how energy drinks made him feel.
5: In the beginning, I used to drink a lot of them, but I noticed I was getting like severe headaches, like after like three or four days or just like after like a month of Constantly drinking these drinks, I noticed like I started getting like sharp pains, feeling in my head. I was like, "Oh, this is not good." So, I pretty much just stopped taking energy drinks. I I bring on the boat for everybody, but uh, you know, and I'm guilty of snagging one. Sometimes it's like three in the morning, and you just like, you just need something just to get you through a couple more hours. So,
1: that's interesting. So, aside from energy drinks, what else is Denny's crew doing to help stay alert?
0: Well, turns out there are quite a few techniques that people are using these days. I'll let Denny describe it.
1: Luckily for us, there's there's no
5: like drug use. We just use, I notice a lot, everyone tries to get an edge on everybody. So I see some people take like hydroxycut or any kind of like uh, stimulant like that will keep you energized through, you know, three or four hours. Um, what else have I seen? I've seen like the pre-workout drinks. I've seen... Pre-workout powders, people just taking this. I've there I don't think it fits for scalloping from for myself. You know, if you're gonna go to the gym, that's one thing, but scalloping, I don't know. I watches are not that long. So a couple cups of coffee is pretty good. I usually for myself, I I try to drink like right when I get up, I I take a powder. It's not that artificial and it's not like a hydroxy cup or nothing, but it's supposed to be like having another cup of coffee. So I'll take that guzzle a cup of coffee then I have iced coffee on the boat so I guzzle two of those and then I go up to my my watch so now I'm I'm awake I'm aware I'm fired up I'm in the right
1: frame of mind okay so we've heard quite a lot today about the impacts of stimulants and of sleep deprivation on our brains what are your biggest takeaways Anna?
0: For me, I'll reiterate how surprised I was to learn that shift work and the associated sleep issues that come with it is probably a level two carcinogen. If our listeners would like to learn more about how carcinogens are defined and how they may impact your health, please check out the resources in our show notes.
1: I also think I'm taking away a much more nuanced understanding of how caffeine works in the brain and what happens when we have too much, particularly if we're mixing too much with other chemical signals to the brain, such as we do when we consume energy drinks.
0: I was also surprised to learn that some fishermen, like Tom and Denny, are getting away from energy drinks by choosing coffee and teas. If you've got to drink something during a long fishing shift, it sounds like those naturally occurring sources of caffeine are certainly the healthier choice. In moderation, of course.
1: Thanks for joining us today. In this episode, you heard from Dr. Allison Brager and scallop fishermen Tom and Hunter Lees and Denny St. Amand. Join us again next time as we dig deeper into the impact fishing sleep schedules may have on our loved ones back home and how fishermen's spouses are supporting one another through the trials and tribulations of the industry.
0: Fishing Forward is a production of the Northeast Center for Occupational Health and Safety and Coastal Roots Radio at the University of Guelph. We love to hear your feedback. You can share your thoughts with us via email at fishing at necenter.org. That's fishing at N-E-C-E-N-T-E-R dot Or you can leave us a voicemail by calling 607-221-4448. And of course, you can also visit us on the Fishing Forward podcast webpage at www.coastalroots.org forward slash fishing forward
1: pod that we do our best to bring you accurate information and lived experiences in this podcast, please remember that all of the health-related information presented here is the opinion of the interviewees, and it should not be interpreted as licensed medical advice. As always, talk to your physician about your own health needs and circumstances. Fishing Forward is
0: funded by the Northeast Center for Occupational Health and Safety. We also receive support from the Alaska Marine Safety Education Association, Oregon State University, the Pacific Northwest Agricultural Safety and Health Center, Fishing Partnership Support Services, the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, the Nora Agriculture, Forestry and Fishing Council, the Southwest Center for Agricultural Health, Injury Prevention and Education, and the Local Catch Network. Say sailing.